In a new series on the Litro Lab podcast, we invite an author to introduce a reading of a classic short story they love. Our first guest author is Alison Moore. Alison's short stories have been published in a range of magazines and in Best British Short Stories 2011, and shortlisted for the Bridport Prize, the Manchester Short Story Prize and the Scott Prize. Her debut novel, The Lighthouse, is currently longlisted for the 2012 Man Booker Prize. Alison's chosen story is from Sherwood Anderson's collection, Winesburg, Ohio. Sherwood Anderson was an American novelist and short story writer whose work influenced Ernest Hemingway, John Steinbeck and F. Scott Fitzgerald. After leaving school at 14, Anderson worked as a manual labourer, a soldier, a copywriter and a manager of a mail order business and a paint manufacturer before publishing his first novel at the age of 40. The Winesburg, Ohio Cycle of Stories is his best-known work, first published in 1919. I spoke to Alison on the phone about her pick. So, Alison, you've chosen the story Adventure by Sherwood Anderson. Um, so can you tell me what made you pick that story as, as something to recommend? I chose a story from Winesburg, Ohio, which is a book I studied for my English literature degree. Uh, it could be called a book of interconnected short stories, or it could be called a novel with separate stories but interconnecting as chapters. But I've chosen Adventure because I think it's a beautiful story. Sherwood Anderson was, was writing what he called grotesque, um, and he used to go to sleep hallucinating these grotesques, which he believed were characters demanding to be written. And all the characters in Winesburg, Ohio, are somehow stunted or deformed by life. It starts with uh, the protagonist, Alice, in her late 20s, and uh, Alice, it, her head is too large for her body and she's, she's stooped at, at 27. And then we hear the story about how when she was 16, she fell in love with a, a young man, Ned. And uh, he was going to move to the city. She wanted to go with him, but he said he should stay and he would come back to her. And at first he writes to her constantly, but over time he, he gets distracted by his new life and forgets about her. But she doesn't forget about him, and she spends years expecting him to come back. Her life has stagnated, really, and she makes some effort towards moving things on. There's a man that she meets at the church who she lets walk her home, and there's a lovely line in, in the story there. Sometimes in the darkness, as they went solidly along, she put out her hand and touched softly the folds of his coat, which I think is a beautiful image. It's her attempting to counter her loneliness by secretly touching the coat that this man is wearing. And then the story catches up with her at the age of 27, uh, where she just wants to be loved. It's not really about Ned anymore. Um, and finally, she runs out into the night and she approaches a stranger. And, and then another favorite line in, in, in the story where she thinks, what is the matter with me? I will do something dreadful if I am not careful, um, which gives the story that wonderful reach beyond the narrative. And um, so you, you worry about her, about Alice, outside the framework of the story. You mentioned that Alison called the characters grotesques and that there is an element of, sort of comedy and, and, and wit about the story as well as the tragedy of this woman's lonely life. Is, is that a mix that appeals to you? Yes, it is. I, th I think he's got a, a lovely style, a, a, a very a 
sim it's quite a simple style, um, which really draws out the darkness in these characters. But they're also full of yearning and hope as well. It's just they're trying to grow, but they're they're thwarted and stunted. And I, I do think he describes that beautifully. There's a theme of loss that runs through your work, your short stories, and, and it's certainly a, a central theme in The Lighthouse as well. Um, that's right. Loss. With this story, that's, that sense of loss, that sense of a life being lost and, and youth being lost is, is quite central. Um, so is that something else that attracts you to this? It is. This is one thing that particularly struck me, actually. The, the first time I read this, I was, I don't know, about 20. And since then, my mum died. And reading it again, I was so struck by where Alice feels compelled to run out naked into the night. Um, because after my mum died, I remember feeling compelled to cycle for miles in the dark. I just had this desperate urge to get out, go on a big bike ride in the middle of the night and in the middle of nowhere, just cycling down pitch black country lanes on my own. It was quite frightening, to be honest, but I just seemed to need it. And Alice has reached some kind of an end in this story. She, some kind of death, I think, of her connection to Ned and her sense of her youth. So when she does this at this point, I, yes, I really responded to that. And is this a story that you've sort of revisited since the first time you read it? Have you, have you reread it? I haven't. It was particularly interesting being asked to choose something. I looked through so many stories and it's actually been fantastic being asked to do this because it, it means that I've reread a lot of stories that I haven't read in years, inc including this one. And it's such a different read now, so many years later, that it was wonderful coming back to it. Adventure Concerning Alice Hindman by Sherwood Anderson from Winesburg, Ohio. Alice Hindman a woman of 27 when George Willard was a mere boy, had lived in Winesburg all her life. She clerked in Winnie's dry goods store and lived with her mother, who had married a second husband. Alice's stepfather was a carriage painter and given to drink. His story is an odd one. It will be worth telling some day. At 27, Alice was tall and somewhat slight, her head was large and overshadowed her body. Her shoulders were a little stooped, and her hair and eyes brown. She was very quiet, but beneath the placid exterior a continual ferment went on. When she was a girl of sixteen, and before she began to work in the store, Alice had an affair with a young man. The young man, named Ned Curry, was older than Alice. He, like George Willard, was employed on the Winesburg Eagle, and for a long time he went to see Alice almost every evening. Together the two walked under the trees through the streets of the town and talked of what they would do with their lives. Alice was then a very pretty girl, and Ned Curry took her into his arms and kissed her. He became excited and said things he did not intend to say, and Alice betrayed by her desire to have something beautiful come into her rather narrow life, also grew excited. She also talked. The outer crust of her life, all of her natural diffidence and reserve, was torn away, and she gave herself over to the emotions of love. When, late in the fall of her sixteenth year, 
Ned Curry went away to Cleveland, where he hoped to get a place on a city newspaper and rise in the world, she wanted to go with him. With a trembling voice, she told him what was in her mind. "'I will work, and you can work,' she said. "'I do not want to harness you to a needless expense that will prevent your making progress. Don't marry me now. We will get along without that, and we can be together. Even though we live in the same house, no one will say anything. In the city we will be unknown, and people will pay no attention to us.' Ned Curry was puzzled by the determination and abandon of his sweetheart, and was also deeply touched. He had wanted the girl to become his mistress, but changed his mind. He wanted to protect and care for her. "'You don't know what you're talking about,' he said sharply. "'You may be sure I'll let you do no such thing. As soon as I get a good job, I'll come back. For the present, you'll have to stay here. It's the only thing we can do.' On the evening before he left Winesburg to take up his new life in the city, Ned Curry went to call on Alice. They walked about through the streets for an hour, and then got a rig from Wesley Moyer's livery and went for a drive in the country. The moon came up, and they found themselves unable to talk. In his sadness, the young man forgot the resolutions he had made regarding his conduct with the girl. They got out of the buggy at a place where a long meadow ran down to the bank of Wine Creek, and there, in the dim light, became lovers. When at midnight they returned to town, they were both glad. It did not seem to them that anything that could happen in the future could blot out the wonder and beauty of the thing that had happened. Now we will have to stick to each other. Whatever happens, we will have to do that, Ned Curry said as he left the girl at her father's door. The young newspaper man did not succeed in getting a place on a Cleveland paper, and went west to Chicago. For a time he was lonely, and wrote to Alice almost every day. Then he was caught up by the life of the city. He began to make friends and found new interests in life. In Chicago he boarded at a house where there were several women. One of them attracted his attention, and he forgot Alice in Winesburg. At the end of a year he'd stopped writing letters and only once in a long time, when he was lonely, or when he went into one of the city parks and saw the moon shining on the grass as it had shone that night on the meadow by Wine Creek, did he think of her at all. In Winesburg, the girl who had been loved grew to be a woman. When she was twenty-two years old, her father, who owned a harness repair shop, died suddenly. The harness-maker was an old soldier, and after a few months his wife received a widow's pension. She used the first money she got to buy a loom and became a weaver of carpets, and Alice got a place at Winnie's store. For a number of years nothing could have induced her to believe that Ned Curry would not, in the end, return to her. She was glad to be employed, because the daily round of toil in the store made the time of waiting seem less long and uninteresting, she began to save money, thinking that when she had saved two or three hundred dollars she would follow her lover to the city, and try if her presence would not win back his affections. Alice did not blame Ned Curry for what had happened in the moonlight in the field, but felt that she could never marry another man. To her, the thought of giving to another what she still felt could belong only to Ned seemed monstrous. When other young men tried to attract her attention, 
she would have nothing to do with them. I am his wife, and shall remain his wife, whether he comes back or not, she whispered to herself, and, for all of her willingness to support herself, could not have understood the growing modern idea of a woman's owning herself, and giving and taking for her own ends in life. Alice worked in the dry goods store from eight in the morning until six at night, and on three evenings a week she went back to the store to stay from seven until nine. As time passed, and she became more and more lonely, she began to practice the devices common to lonely people. When at night she went upstairs into her room, she knelt on the floor to pray, and in her prayers whispered things she wanted to say to her lover. She became attached to inanimate objects, and because it was her own, could not bear to have anyone touch the furniture of her room. The trick of saving money, began for a purpose, was carried on after the scheme of going to the city to find Ned Curry had been given up. It became a fixed habit, and when she needed new clothes, she did not get them. Sometimes, on rainy afternoons in the store, she got out her bank book, and letting it lie open before her, spent hours dreaming impossible dreams of saving money enough so that the interest would support both herself and her future husband. Ned always liked to travel about, she thought. I'll give him the chance. Some day, when we are married, and I can save both his money and my own, we will be rich. Then we can travel together all over the world. In the dry goods store, weeks ran into months, and months into years, as Alice waited and dreamed of her lover's return. Her employer, a grey old man with false teeth and a thin grey moustache that drooped down over his mouth, was not given to conversation, and sometimes, on rainy days in the winter when a storm raged in Main Street, long hours passed when no customers came in. Alice arranged and rearranged the stock. She stood near the front window, where she could look down the deserted street, and thought of the evenings when she had walked with Ned Curry, and of what he had said. We will have to stick to each other now. The words echoed and re-echoed through the mind of the maturing woman. Tears came into her eyes. Sometimes, when her employer had gone out and she was alone in the store, she put her head on the counter and wept. Oh, Ned, I am waiting, she whispered over and over, and all the time the creeping fear that he would never come back grew stronger within her. In spring, when the rains have passed and before the long hot days of summer have come, the country about Winesburg is delightful. The town lies in the midst of open fields, but beyond the fields are pleasant patches of woodlands. In the wooded places are many little cloistered nooks, quiet places, where lovers go to sit on Sunday afternoons. Through the trees they look out across the fields and see farmers at work about the barns, or people driving up and down the roads. In the town bells ring, and occasionally a train passes looking like a toy thing in the distance. For several years after Ned Curry went away, Alice did not go into the wood with the other young people on Sunday. But one day, after he'd been gone for two or three years, and when her loneliness seemed unbearable, 
she put on her best dress and set out. Finding a little sheltered place from which she could see the town and a long stretch of the fields, she sat down. Fear of age and ineffectuality took possession of her. She could not sit still and arose. As she stood, looking out over the land, something, perhaps the thought of never-ceasing life as it expresses itself in the flow of the seasons, fixed her mind on the passing years. With a shiver of dread, she realized that for her the beauty and freshness of youth had passed. For the first time she felt that she had been cheated. She did not blame Ned Curry, and did not know what to blame. Sadness swept over her. Dropping to her knees, she tried to pray, but instead of prayers, words of protest came to her lips. It's not going to come to me. I will never find happiness. Why do I tell myself lies? she cried, and an odd sense of relief came with this, her first bold attempt to face the fear that had become a part of her everyday life. In the year when Alice Hindman became twenty-five, two things happened to disturb the dull uneventfulness of her days. Her mother married Bush Milton, the carriage painter of Winesburg, and she herself became a member of the Winesburg Methodist Church. Alice joined the church because she had become frightened by the loneliness of her position in life. Her mother's second marriage had emphasized her isolation. I am becoming old and queer. If Ned comes, he will not want me. In the city where he is living, men are perpetually young. There is so much going on that they do not have time to grow old, she told herself with a grim little smile, and went resolutely about the business of becoming acquainted with people. Every Thursday evening when the store was closed, she went to a prayer meeting in the basement of the church, and on Sunday evening attended a meeting of an organization called the Epworth League. When Will Hurley, a middle-aged man who clerked in a drugstore and who also belonged to the church, offered to walk home with her, she did not protest. Of course, I will not let him make a practice of being with me, but if he comes to see me once in a long time, there can be no harm in that, she told herself, still determined in her loyalty to Ned Curry. Without realizing what was happening, Alice was trying, feebly at first, but with growing determination, to get a new hold upon life. Beside the drug clerk she walked in silence, but sometimes, in the darkness, as they went stolidly along, she put out her hand and touched softly the folds of his coat. When he left her at the gate before her mother's house, she did not go indoors, but stood for a moment by the door. She wanted to call to the drug clerk to ask him to sit with her in the darkness on the porch before the house, but was afraid he would not understand. It's not him that I want, she told herself. I want to avoid being so much alone. If I am not careful, I will grow unaccustomed to being with people. During the early fall of her twenty-seventh year, a passionate restlessness took possession of Alice. She could not bear to be in the company of the drug clerk, and when, in the evening, he came to walk with her, she sent him away. Her mind became intensely active, and when, weary from the long hours of standing behind the counter in the store, she went home and crawled into bed, 
she could not sleep. With staring eyes, she looked into the darkness. Her imagination, like a child awakened from long sleep, played about the room. Deep within her, there was something that would not be cheated by fantasies and that demanded some definite answer from life. Alice took a pillow into her arms and held it tightly against her breasts. Getting out of bed, she arranged a blanket so that in the darkness it looked like a form lying between the sheets, and kneeling beside the bed, she caressed it, whispering words over and over like a refrain. Why doesn't something happen? Why am I left here alone? she muttered. Although she sometimes thought of Ned Curry, she no longer depended on him. Her desire had grown vague. She did not want Ned Curry or any other man. She wanted to be loved, to have something answer the call that was growing louder and louder within her. And then, one night, when it rained, Alice had an adventure. It frightened and confused her. She had come home from the store at nine and found the house empty. Bush Milton had gone off to town and her mother to the house of a neighbour. Alice went upstairs to her room and undressed in the darkness. For a moment she stood by the window, hearing the rain beat against the glass, and then a strange desire took possession of her. Without Stopping to think of what she intended to do, she ran downstairs, through the dark house, and out into the rain. As she stood on a little grass plot before the house, and felt the cold rain on her body, a mad desire to run naked through the streets took possession of her. She thought that the rain would have some creative and wonderful effect on her body. Not for years had she felt so full of youth and courage. She wanted to leap and run, to cry out, to find some other lonely human and embrace him. On the brick sidewalk before the house a man stumbled homeward. Alice started to run. A wild, desperate mood took possession of her. What do I care who it is? He is alone, and I will go with him, she thought. And then, without stopping to consider the possible result of her madness, called softly, Wait! she cried, don't go away. Whoever you are, you must wait. The man on the sidewalk stopped and stood listening. He was an old man and somewhat deaf. Putting his hand to his mouth, he shouted, What? What, what say? he called. Alice dropped to the ground and lay trembling. She was so frightened at the thought of what she had done that when the man had gone on his way, she did not dare get to her feet, but crawled on hands and knees through the grass to the house. When she got to her own room, she bolted the door and drew the dressing-table across the doorway. Her body shook as with a chill, and her hands trembled, so that she had difficulty getting into her nightdress. When she got into bed, she buried her face in the pillow and wept broken-heartedly. What? is the matter with me. I will do something dreadful if I am not careful, she thought, and, turning her face to the wall, began trying to force herself to face bravely the fact that many people must live 
and die alone, even in Weinsberg. Adventure was read by Greg Page.